0: People change. Over a period of time, over the distance of years, people change. You've gone to a family reunion and Aunt Dolly comes up to you, not having seen you in a decade, and says, oh my, I can't believe how you've changed. I wouldn't have recognized you. And although you love Aunt Dolly, you just wish she'd simmer down a little bit because you don't think you've changed that much. Or maybe you go to a high school reunion, your 40th. They give you a name tag with a picture of your graduation picture, or your graduation on it. And you go around meeting people that you haven't seen in 40 years. And they look at you and say, dude, I wouldn't have recognized you had you not had a picture there. Of course, we didn't say dude 40 years ago, but now we do. And it emphasizes the fact that people really change. But sometimes the change is not merely on the surface, it's a deep change of the soul. Sometimes the change is from bad to good. Think of Ebenezer Scrooge. But sometimes the change is from good to bad. Think of the prophet Jonah. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to that wonderful short prophecy of only 88 verses, the book of Jonah. Now, we've heard this story all of our lives, right? The guy who was swallowed by the fish, and agnostics are quick to say the whole story sounds fishy to me. I don't think it's true at all. But I like what G. Campbell Morgan once said. He said, men are looking so long and hard at the great fish that they've overlooked in this story, the great grace of God. The book of Jonah is not just about a prophet of God who tried to run from God. It's about the grace of God pursuing those who run. It's about the deep mercy of God. It's about his sovereignty in in control of everything and his wonderful passion to see people come to faith in him and forgiveness. And so we come to the book of Jonah, a fascinating story, with a surprise ending, by the way. It, in all probability, is an autobiography, and if so, the only one among all the prophets, which makes the story even more incredible if these are the words, albeit in the third person, of the prophet himself as he describes his own actions and as he describes the wonderful mercy of God. I love Bible biography because it gives us a picture of ourselves. Someone said, as is often the case with Bible biographies, we find ourselves and our own hearts mirrored in the experience of the one we're reading. We're able to see ourselves in ways we've not seen ourselves before. And hopefully to bring us to a place of submission to this wonderful God who pursues us and this great God who loves us. And by the way, the book of Jonah is every person's story. It's your story. It's my story. It's the story of our struggle to follow God. We read in Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran. He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord it's interesting everything in this story obeys God except for Jonah think of it in chapter 1 you've got the violent storm and the superstitious sailors they obey God in chapter 2 the sea monster in chapter 3 the pagan Ninevites turn and trust God and in chapter four you've got the strong east wind coming at God's direction and a hungry worm and a fast-growing plant I say it's ironic everything in the whole book obeys God except God's servant did you know that all creation is under his care and follows his bidding? when the curse came in, creation was cursed as well. And so there are some things that happen that are indeed deplorable. But it seems like everything in this world has a tendency to obey God except for the crown of his creation, man. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. One Bible commentator said this is an unusual phrase to start out a book for the first time. Usually there's a little more introduction as to the person and a little more entrance into the story. But it appears it's stated this way because we've seen Jonah before. There's something else, some other portion of Scripture that has introduced this prophet to the reading public. And so what I want to do this morning is take a look back and then take a look now and compare the pictures of Jonah. First of all, a picture of Jonah's past. He's only mentioned in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings 14 and his own autobiography. 2 Kings 14 gives us the story of Israel. This is about 60 years before the Assyrian captivity, somewhere around 780 B.C., In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, which is Jeroboam the second, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, the capital city of Israel, and he reigned for 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. So here is a new king on the throne. And he is wicked. He's called Jeroboam after his namesake because they are one and the same in heart and in activity. They are they are idolaters. They have discarded the word of God. Wicked things are replaced with pure worship. But notice in verse 25, it says that this king was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo-Hamath to the Dead Sea. Now think about it. A wicked king prospering. This is the problem that you and I experience over and over again, and everyone has seen throughout history that sometimes the righteous are persecuted and the wicked are Prosper. greater territory means greater influence greater reputation for the king more support but this simply reminds us of a principle that you can succeed in your business and be far from God you can have outward advances and yet not always spiritual gains On the outside, everything can look great, but on the inside, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're like a whitewashed tomb, a sepulcher. It looks great on the outside, but inside, nothing but dead men's bones. But notice the last part of this verse. 2 Kings 14.25 It says that all of this was done, the advancing of the boundaries, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. And now we are introduced to this prophet for the very first time and we're given a few more details about him. First of all, he's God's servant. That means he's devoted. He has the favor of God. He's been chosen to serve the Lord. He's the one who does the bidding of God. He's a servant with a servant's heart surrendered to his master. But he's also a prophet. Now that's on a higher level because he receives privileged information. Remember the verse in Amos 3? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his secrets to his prophets. He gives, the, God, the Lord gives, reveals his word to his prophet, and they proclaim it to the people. And then it's recorded down for us to read years later. It even tells us where the guy came from, Gath-Hefer, which is a small town, a rural town, about three miles northeast of the little village of Nazareth, where Jesus was going to live. Think about it. Jonah comes on the scene and makes this prediction as a prophet from the word of the Lord that indeed the boundaries of Israel will be extended, and it happens. That's the mark of a true prophet. What they say takes place. And because of that, Jonah was a hero. Oh, the people were excited about uh, following this prophet who speaks God's word, and it happens. This is a pretty amazing picture. Jonah is faithful to the word of God as a servant and a prophet. Don't you always have those pictures in the family album that you like? I mean, a few of them where you look halfway decent and the picture... Maybe does you justice or even more, makes you look better than you really are. You like those pictures, but there's also some pictures in the family album that don't look so good. And that's the picture that we see of Jonah. Now when we turn to his little prophecy, the picture of Jonah in the present. Much different from the past. Oh he's still God's prophet and he still receives the word of the Lord. That's verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So here God speaks and his word is clear. Usually our problem with the word of God is not understanding it. It's obeying it it's not an intellectual problem it's a moral problem there's something in us that wants us to reject what God calls us to do so the man who was faithful to the word of God in the past is now fleeing from the word of God in the present a totally different picture I don't think it happened overnight But this is a snapshot of where he is at this moment of time. Something has caused him to change his heart about the revelation that comes from God. By the way, the phrase, the word of the Lord, is found over a hundred times in the Old Testament. And it came to a prophet like a, a burden. The burden of the heart or the fire in the soul. It was God's word and until they proclaimed it, until they obeyed it, there was, there was a fire in their heart. There was disruption. They were not content. It seems like this is a message of judgment, doesn't it? Go preach against Nineveh's wickedness. The Hebrew implies that the wickedness of Nineveh was piling up all the way up to heaven. That it came up to the attention of God. God says, it's come to my attention that this capital city of the Assyrians, Nineveh, is greatly wicked. And only important matters come to the attention of a king. In chapter 3 of Jonah's little prophecy verse 8 it talks about the great wickedness of the Assyrians and it's unmentionable to go into the detail it's deplorable what they did with human beings the torture the hatred the violence the bloodshed and against Israel as well these are God's enemies These are people that deserve judgment. So you think, on the one hand, Jonah might be happy. Jonah's a patriot. He's he's a Hebrew through and through. He's a man of God and a man of the nation and wants to protect the nation and wants to eliminate their enemies. But notice the Bible tells us in verse 3 that Jonah ran away from the Lord. Instead of going on a mission, he decides to take a cruise. How different this is from the prophet we read about earlier. He runs. He flees. Now he's doing at least two things. Number one, he's ignoring the Word of God. You and I read the Bible in our devotions. Maybe you're reading through the Bible, which is a great thing to do. And you come across something that seems to be God speaking to you and yet you and I are quick to dismiss it because we don't want to do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do justice. Love mercy. Forgive someone 70 times 7. As I have loved you, so I want you to love others. As I have received you, so I want you to accept others. Sometimes we have a rough time with the word of God and we want to run. He ignored the clear command of God upon his life. Secondly, he left the presence of God. Now we don't see this as clearly in our English text. But it says that Jonah ran away from the face or the presence of God. Now in the one sense you and I know that's impossible because God is everywhere. The omnipresence of God you can never run away from. But the felt presence of God or the favored presence of God or the blessed presence of God the presence of God that gives you peace the presence of God that gives you uh, the blessings and and all that he's promised for those who walk with him he ignored the word of God and he left the presence of God (laughs) this is the equivalent of abandoning his prophetic office It's like saying, I quit. Can you imagine him preaching to his little congregation in Gath, Hefer, and suddenly he decides to bolt, grabs a few belongings and a pocket of silver, and off he goes down to the port city of Joppa, which is now connected with the modern city of Tel Aviv. It was in Philistine territory, so it wouldn't have been easy for a prophet of God to go down to a port like that. He was commanded to go to Nineveh, which is about 500 miles to the east. And instead, he goes to the port Joppa to sail to Tarshish, which is 2,000 miles to the west. The Living Bible puts it this way, Jonah set out in the opposite direction, To get away from God. And that's why I say this is every person's story. Have you not done that? Yes, you have. And so have I. In fact, in the Hebrew text, it talks about God saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. But instead, he descended down to Joppa. There is more than just geographical language in all of that. He descended down when he decided to walk away from God. And it's only a spiral down. Someone said there's always a ship waiting in port to sail you away from God. I can imagine Jonah might have gone down there and said, I want to go to Tarshish. And someone might have said, you're in luck. Here's a ship about ready to go. And they've got room. This must be the will of God. Things are falling out perfectly for me, he might have said to himself. Oh no, the devil is there to do all he can to help you run from the Lord. I like what Vance Havner once said the preacher with many homespun quotes, he said, the devil will provide the ship, but you must pay the fare. Jonah had to pay the literal fare with coins, but he had to pay the cost of running away from God, and that is a steep, steep price. By the way, where are you going to go to run away from God? Do you remember Psalm 139? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, you're there. God is everywhere. And while we may run away from his blessed presence... And the peace that comes from walking with God in close fellowship, we can never run away from the omnipresence of God and he can track us down anywhere and sees us everywhere. So he runs, but why? That's the big question. And the story doesn't yield the answer just yet. Like a good novel, it waits to develop the story before and the plot to thicken before there is some resolution but let me give you just a little bit of hint of a hint jonah didn't like the command of god because he was afraid that god was going to be merciful to the wicked <laughs> a christian who is afraid that other sinners like himself will receive God's mercy. You say, oh, but no, they're not like me. I'm not as bad of a sinner as they are. Why? they're wicked people. And there are groups in our world today that need to be condemned, and need to be judged. And what if God were to show them his mercy? Would you be okay with that? Let's be honest. Some of you might have to say, no, just like Jonah. You see, 2 Kings 14 made him extremely popular. He was a patriot. He wanted to defend Israel against her enemies. And if he somehow goes to Nineveh and helps them, while the the, the political allies of Israel will revolt, and the people will turn on him, and his reputation will go from hero to goat or even worse. He'd be the traitor prophet. And you and I do a lot of things to try to keep our reputation that lead us into clear disobedience to God. You see, first of all, we need to die to self and to sin. Take up your cross daily and then follow Christ. He's in control of your reputation He's in control of the mercy that is dispensed. Oh, I think he had all kinds of reasons, and you and I can come up with all kinds of reasons on why we shouldn't obey God, but it's always a cover for our moral inconsistencies, weakness, and sin. Maybe Jonah could have said something like this. Yeah, God, but in the past, oh my, I was your prophet, I was your servant. But don't you know that past victories do not secure present blessings? The fruitfulness of the past cannot substitute for the present obedience that God calls us to make every day. If you were following God yesterday, great, what about now? And that's where you and I find ourselves so often, dear believer, don't we? We're looking back to past victories. We're looking in the photo album of pictures where we once followed God that looked so good, but now we don't even want to see the pictures and erase them off the iPhone because they're pictures of disobedience. I look what Alan Redpath said, The Bible never flatters its heroes. It tells us the truth about each one of them in order that against the background of human breakdown and human failure, we may magnify the amazing grace of God. The story of Jonah has a gospel theme to it. Jonah is the only Old Testament prophet that Jesus compared himself to. And it's because of the gospel. It's because of the wonderful mercy that is shown in this amazing book by the grace of God. Paul said to the people in the region of Galatia, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you And kept you from obeying the truth. This persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. And so Jonah sets out to flee from God. And what an amazing experience he's going to have. Because even though we are determined to run away from God, God is reluctant to let us go. One of the stories that comes out of my own history a little bit never ceases to amaze me. It was back in the 1950s and 60s that a man by the name of Chuck Templeton was a household name in evangelical homes. He pastored a leading church in Toronto. Together with his best friend, Billy Graham, he started Youth for Christ in Canada. He was so popular that uh, he was wanted on speaking platforms all across North America. When I came to Christ in the late 60s, the name Chuck Templeton was still being whispered around the corridors of youth Christ. Oh, he could speak. In fact, many people thought he was a better preacher than Billy Graham himself. But then one day something changed. Chuck left his church in Toronto and renounced his faith in Christ. Evangelicals were rocked by the news. He soon was managing two well-known newspapers in Canada. He had an influential position on the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, and even ran for Prime Minister of the Country. And then he wrote a book entitled, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. And I heard about this guy who could really preach and then ran away from God. It was a few years ago that Lee Strobel, Lee was working at the Chicago Tribune, was an atheist. He investigated the claims of Christ, and he came to faith in Christ. And he wrote a book called The Case for Faith. And he heard about Chuck Templeton and decided to interview him, so he flew to Toronto and got an interview with Chuck. Chuck is now 83 years old at the time, yet vigorously defending his his agnosticism. He said, God claims to be a God of love and yet he allows all this suffering in the world and that's what put me over the edge. But near the end of the interview, Lee Strobel said to Chuck, how do you feel about Jesus? And the old man's countenance changed in a moment. He softened. He spoke in adoring terms. He said, in my view... He is the most important human being who has ever existed. And then with his voice cracking and tears welling up in his eyes, he haltingly said, I I miss him. And then Lee Strobel said, tears flooded his eyes, his shoulders began to bob forth as he wept about missing Jesus one of the saddest things in the world is the testimony of one who once said he loved Christ and now says he despises Christ or in this case despises the Christian faith but misses Jesus my friend God is merciful to Ninevites. God is merciful to Jonah. And God will be merciful to you if you come back to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, cause us to see your mercy and grace displayed at the cross for everyone in the world. And when we turn from our sin to trust you with an honest heart, there is forgiveness. No matter how great the sin, grace is greater. And your mercy will cover and wash and cleanse and make anew. So for the broken people in this world who don't know Christ, there's a Savior. Oh Lord, and let, let us all see for the broken Christians who are hiding their shame and living a double life, They profess to be Christians. Only you know, Lord, let them see that there's mercy when they come back to you in genuine faith. In Jesus' name, amen.